You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. Well, I'm looking forward to this hour together, and I hope you are as well. This is In the Studio with Michael Card, and I'm Wayne Shepard. Michael, I'm looking forward to it for several reasons, not the least of which we're going to talk with our friend Terry Glaspie here in a few minutes. Terry's an author who can uh, help us uh, understand the arts and how it adds to our spiritual life. Yeah, and, and Terry's just been an, uh, a great friend and a great encourager to me for a long time. I, I really started writing books largely because of uh, Terry's encouragement. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, he got me into publishing. That's coming up just momentarily here in the studio with Michael Card. Our featured resource this week is the CSB Adorned Bible, and Terry's going to help us understand what the Adorned Bible brings to and our understanding of Scripture because of its illustrations that are done by a famous artist. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Brianna sent us this note. She said, I'm always encouraged by these recordings. I always learn something new. Here's the little secret. We do too, right, Mike? Uh, we do. We, yes. I sometimes I hear myself say things I've never thought of before. Yeah. Uh, she said the discussion about truth and grace and how Christ does that for us made me think about how we need to be that for others. Micah mm. six eight. We become that because Christ is that for us. So yeah. thank you, Brianna. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, In the second half today, you're going to talk about these twin incidents in Scripture. Do you want to explain what that's all about? Yeah, I've been as I've been looking at the life of Jesus and the details of the life of Jesus and trying to understand them more. One of the things I've seen is that there are these twin stories, twin incidents, and I've I've always wondered about you know there are two storms on the Sea of Galilee, there are two miraculous feedings, Mm -hmm. the four thousand, the five thousand. I mean, I've got a whole list. I think I have eight things of. that there are two stories. And so we're, we're going to look at, if we have time, we're going to look at a couple of those. All right. And let me explain musically what happens here on this podcast is that we we never play a song off a CD. It is pre-recorded, but was pre-recorded in the Molin studio when we started this program back mm-hmm. several years ago. So, Michael, we never let you off the hook and just uh, easily uh, queued up a CD. We always had you perform along with our guests, uh, yeah, the music it, in the studio. But now it's easy because I don't have to do it. It's, so I'm, I'm kind of off the hook finally after all those years well, of having you to know what? stumble into the studio and play it. Well, just be careful about that because there may come a day when we have access to a studio again and uh, uh-huh. we may put you in the, in the hot seat again. So Well, we'll just see. Just, <laughs> just be ready for that. All right. <laughs> Let's start with this song, which was recorded at the Molin Studio, and then we'll talk with Terry. Recapture Me. Recapture me, recapture me I flee to where I cannot go Recapture me The bridge between my heart and mind Recapture me, recapture me You come across myself to find Recapture me You come and knock on imagination's door You come to show to know you Is what eyes and ears are for But not 
Michael's song sets the tone for the conversation to come, our creativity segment here in the studio with Michael Card. By the way, Ken Lewis on percussion, Steve Mikesell playing the bass there on that song, Michael, which does um, lead us into what we want to talk with Terry Glassby about. Yeah, and who better to talk to about uh, the imagination and Bible and art than uh, than our, our buddy Terry? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. I, I always enjoy the conversation. I always learn a lot myself. So, yeah. have, you, have you overcome your jet lag from being in Oxford? Uh, yes, I, I think I finally have. It was a great mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it, Terry. We'll, we'll get to the the uh, featured discussion here in a moment, but I'd like to hear about your trip to Oxford. Yeah, I was doing, uh, I, I'm now a part-time uh, professor with Northwind Seminary, and we have a program that has to do with uh, C.S. Lewis and the Inklings. And so this was an opportunity to take some students to Oxford to uh just wow. be in all the places that Lewis and Tolkien and Sayers and Charles Williams were. And uh, we just, we had a fabulous time, did some teaching, um, did a lot of discussion and one-on-one. It was just so much fun. What was a highlight for you? Uh, I suppose one of the highlights is we got to do something that just nobody gets to do, I guess. Um I was with, uh, at this point, one of the people I was with was Diana Glyer, who is like one of the preeminent C.S. Lewis scholars in the entire world. And uh, she, one thing she'd never done was get to visit C.S. Lewis's offices, his rooms there in uh, Oxford, the place where he would have the one-on-ones with students, also the place where they had a lot of the Inklings meetings. Mm. And through some connections, we got to hang out in that room for a little while and, uh, you know, just kind of nerd out on the fact that <laughs> here we are where the Inklings met. Uh, soak it up, yeah, huh? It up. <laughs> okay, well, the big the big question for me is, did you go to the Eagle and the Child? Isn't that the pub that they hung out in? Yeah, well, we would have gone to the Eagle and Child. In fact, we went to the outside of it, but right now it's closed. Oh, it's unsure whether it's going to be opened again. Uh, the oh. other pub that they often frequented was called the Lamb and Flag. It was right across the street. 
Well, and unfortunately, uh, the, the Lamb and Flag was also closed, although uh, it is going to be reopened as like a historical uh, monument. Cool. We're hoping that maybe the same thing will happen with Eagle and Child. Okay. Very cool. Wonderful. Well, we're so glad you had yeah. that experience and yeah. shared it with us, Terry. Hey, our CSB featured Bible is the uh, Adorned Bible. And uh, Michael, you want to say a word about this? And Terry can help us with uh, the illustrations that are in this beautiful work. Well, it's illustrated by one of my uh, favorite uh, biblical illustrators, that's uh, Doré. And uh, I, I think he did over 200 images just to illustrate the Bible. I and mean, what kind of person says, I'm going to illustrate the Bible? And uh, I know that Terry, you know, is the kind of person that's going to understand this and and have some good background for us on who uh, Dore was. Yeah, well, he's an interesting he's an interesting figure. Uh, he was one of those kind of child prodigies. By the time hmm. he was like 15 years old, he was drawing cartoons that were being widely distributed. Wow. He he went on from there to. Uh, really become one of the most popular uh, artists of his day. Um, he, uh, in his career, he, he, he took like books such as, you know, uh, the, the poetry of Byron and Don Quixote and Edgar Allan Poe and John Milton and mm. Dante uh, and, and drew illustrations for those books. You know, this was a mm. time period in which, you know, people didn't have movies and so uh, or TV, so people liked to have illustrations with the when they were reading classic books. So after doing that, some of those, he was given the opportunity to the Bible, mm. and he did 241 woodblock engravings of the Bible, Gosh. and they are they're just they are just astonishingly uh, beautiful. Um, mm. He studied uh, photos of the Holy Land. He wasn't much of a person to want to travel, but he studied artifacts, uh, archaeological uh, artifacts. Uh, He looked at a lot of photos so he could try to really get it right. Um, So the the photos would be historically accurate. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he had a very much a dramatic flair. And as you look at the drawings that he did, there's so much uh, kind of a theatrical drama to them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at a couple of them right now. The one is uh, in Genesis chapter eight, the mm-hmm. ark that is, but these are woodcuts. Yeah, they huh? were woodcuts. In fact, oh, he was beautiful. so popular that at the height of his career, that he had a staff of 40 people. And he would design wow. these works, and then they would intricately uh, engrave them out of wood so that they could be printed. Mm-hmm. And then I'm looking at Isaiah chapter 60, the glory of God. Uh, just beautiful work. It, and these are throughout this uh, adorned yes. Bible. Yes, uh, it's 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 uh, an attempt, I think, to bring back uh, a Bible that was published and very popular back in Doré's day. And then he was kind of forgotten for years, mm-hmm. and as many artists are, and then rediscovered. And I'm so glad to see his work being made available again, well, all the detail and the drama of it. Well, I know that earlier, like in the monastic time, they had the illustrated or illuminated Bibles, but is Doré the first one in kind of the modern era to illustrate the Bible, I, I can't think of anybody else that, that has ever done anything like that. He was one of the first, probably, to do it that extensively. 
There was uh-huh. a painter who was kind of contemporaneous with him, James Tissot, who also mm-hmm. did like almost 365, uh, nearly a whole year's worth of uh, wow. paintings, watercolor, uh-huh. mostly, uh, of of the, the New Testament, mostly, but also some of the Old Testament. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is the thing people loved was being able to look at scripture at the same time they were reading and yeah. it, it it helps really fire the imagination puts you there mm. yeah well terry you've written the book discovering god through the arts so let's put the question to you about the creative work of an artist and its effect in our spiritual life what are some of your thoughts and we're thinking here in terms of this adorned bible well, I, I'm thinking, let, let's think of both the Adorned Bible and let's think of uh, Michael's work. Uh, in one sense, they're, they're both, uh, you know, visual and, uh, and musical commentaries, really, on the scriptures is what they are. You know, Oral, they take yes, us uh-huh. to a deeper place, a deeper understanding. Um, and I think they help to refocus us so that we're kind of brought to this place of really seeing it new. You know that that's one of the things artists do is as as Ezra Pound said, their goal is to make it new, whatever it is, mm. to make it new. And these artists and musicians, um, they can make the Bible come alive for us in a very powerful way. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Michael's song "Recapture Me" he was talking about. There's a bridge between my heart and mind, and that mm-hmm. the imagination is what brings our heart and our mind together for a fuller experience. And in this case, we're talking about getting a fuller experience of the biblical text. Hmm. Do parables do something like that? Jesus' parables, I mean, I know they are scripture, but isn't that what he's doing? He's sort of drawing you in and and you've got to engage with these characters and and he doesn't explain them. Uh, I mean, does, was that is that his version of art? I don't know. I think totally it is. It's yeah. like, this is this was Jesus' way of, he, he would... I think a lot of times the parables act kind of like explosive devices. It's like mm-hmm. we're, he gives us the story. We're kind of puzzled by it. We walk away and maybe a, an hour later or maybe two days later, maybe half a life later, ah. suddenly it, we ex, it explodes into a new understanding of what mm-hmm. he's had to say. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking the other day about how, you know, when Jesus' teaching method was he went on the road with his disciples. You know, he didn't set up a school and have people come to the school and give them three-point sermons. But as you said, he mostly was a storyteller. And he would go around and he'd see things that were common things of life. And he would, whether it be a shepherd or a coin or, you know, on and on you could go. And he would, he would tell a story or give an illustration that would suddenly help us realize a spiritual truth by starting with something that was really familiar to us. And does it happen to you before you know it's happening? I mean, it's almost there's a surprise element to to what art does. You see a picture and you're drawn in and you, um, like one of these Doré images, all of a sudden you're sort of there before you realize what's happened. Yeah. And the lovely thing is, is that they, there's an immediate pull, and they immediately communicate something to us. Mm-hmm. But I like to think about the fact that we all kind of have like a museum in our head. We have a mm. museum of images that we carry with us that we can draw on. 
And mm-hmm. just like I think we have a um, a library of music that that we can draw on, these become part of our mental furniture, and they help us to see it anew, see it afresh. Mm-hmm. And the best art and the best music you can revisit again and again and again, and um, sometimes without even actually having to look at it or listen to it, you can it just comes to you in your mind. I think it's and the, a beautiful way we're created. And I guess the what you're saying, too, is the best artists know how to access that in, in us. I mean, right? I mean, Jesus' parables, again, that's my favorite image. He he knows that you have all these uh, furniture, what did you call it? Intellectual furniture? Yeah, mental furniture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he knows that you've got this place in your brain that's about harvesting or this place in your brain that's about losing a coin or losing things or something. I mean, is, is that part of it, too? I mean, I, this whole whole topic is kind of opening up to me. Yeah, I think it's like making connections. I mean, when yeah. you think about writing a song, what's the process you have of writing a song? That's uh-huh. a question. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Or you're asking me, oh, how, how should I know? <laughs> You've only written five hundred. Yeah. How would you know? Well, I just think fundamentally you're wanting to connect with people, and uh, yeah, that's that's why I was excited about this idea. Well, and I was thinking about how in a lot of your songs are based around scriptural events or stories or mm. concepts, and it's like clearly to us as the listener. They come about as a result of the fact that you've been, as the artist, ruminating on it. You've been trying mm. to trying to gather all the meaning that you can. Mm. You're trying to picture it in a fresh and new way in your mind, and then mm. you share that with us, and it can have such a powerful impact. We mm. see things that we've never seen before in Scripture. Well, when I listen to your mm. songs, that happens to me. Mm. Wow. Well, thanks. Michael, as we've talked about this, you use the word discipline, the discipline mm-hmm. use of imagination, which tells me that we need to, uh, in a sense, kind of work at this. We need to spend time on this. It doesn't just happen automatically, does it? Well, for the creator, yeah. For the person that, like Terry, that's writing the books, yeah, you have. There, there's discipline involved in that. I don't know how, how much discipline is involved in sort of making people have this explosive experience that Terry was talking about that happens... Uh, an hour or a month. No, I, I'm th- I'm thinking of the end user though. Yeah. You know, someone who I I appreciate what's being said, but I realize that maybe this isn't a part of my life. Maybe this isn't something I. And I've it done takes some discipline. I have to slow. Uh-huh. I have to slow down. Yeah. yeah, it takes some discipline. I have to slow what down do you think, to do this. I exactly. I mean, I think that if we think about a painter, will spend weeks painting a painting, or mm-hmm. a musician will likely also spend weeks crafting a song. Mm-hmm. And so how can we expect that just by having it on in the background or glancing at uh, having the music on the background uh, or at the picture that we're yeah, going to yeah. get all that's there for us? It, okay, I think okay. they become things that we can use as part of our meditation. I mean, they, they don't take the place of the scripture, but mm-hmm. they work as kind of like a commentary on the scripture. Yeah. yeah. Make it come alive in a fresh way. But that yeah. oftentimes does take some patience and some effort on behalf of the listener or the viewer. Mm. It's intentional. 
Yeah. 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 You have to, you, you need to be intentional about it. I mean, a lot of people would say, well, art's not for me. That's kind of for those fussy, you know, people who go to Oxford, right? Uh (laughs) Uh, But no, no, art is for all of us. And we all fill our lives with art. I mean, the, the music we hear, the, the, the TV shows we watch, the films we watch, things we decorate our home with, those are all art. The question is, yeah, yeah. are we going to take the time to explore some of the best? And I, th- I think our culture encourages us to have art and music sort of as background noise or, you know, uh, to, to not do what you guys are talking about and really invest and be disciplined and, and, uh, and listen. Well, I, I've got one more question for you, Terry. Um, okay, so discovering God through the arts, that's on the shelf, okay? But you've just come back from Oxford and what's next? What are you working on? Or what have you already finished that's not in print yet? Or where is that? Well, uh, I have a book about C.S. Lewis called Not uh-huh. a Tame Lion that's coming out uh, at the early in uh, December. And uh-huh. it's, kind of a, it's kind of a book about his life and his key teachings. It's actually a revision of, oh. of an earlier book I wrote on on him. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, Next mm-hmm. year, I have a book coming out of classic prayers down through the ages from wow. people like Augustine and, and Luther and Calvin and you oh. know Aquinas, everybody you can think of. I tried to find some of the most kind of powerful and, and spiritually rich kind of prayers that I could. And so uh-huh. that's coming out next sometime next year. And I, I'm not sure exactly what's next. I, I, I'm i busy at the moment creating a new course on uh, G.K. Chesterton and George MacDonald. Uh, wow. Mary, and I'm also uh, working on uh, creating a course on uh, art and spiritual formation. How you can help. It, it's kind of aimed at people who want to help other people use the arts to enrich their spiritual lives. Uh-huh. Yeah, what a slacker. Yeah, <laughs> I'll figure out something to fill my time with eventually. <laughs> well, would we have the opportunity someday to sit together at, what was it, the something in the, the, the lamb? The lamb and flag, uh, yep. <laughs> lamb and flag. Yeah. The lamb and flag. Maybe maybe we'll have that opportunity in the future. <laughs> Who knows? But we'll, this uh, will suffice for now, Terry. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Terry Glaspie, our guest here in the studio with Michael Card. And I think a great way to end this conversation, Michael, is with your song, Morning Has Broken. So let's uh, let's ask you to sing that now here. And Terry, goodbye. Thank you so much, brother. Thanks, Terry. Thank you. Singing praise for the moon.
song from Michael that takes us to the halfway point in this podcast. We hope you'll stop by the Michael Carr Music Facebook page and interact with other listeners about what you're hearing. Or reach us directly when you send your comments, song requests, or questions via email. Write to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Again, inthestudio at michaelcard.com. There's much more teaching and insights like what you've heard when you check out Michael's books and music. Explore all that is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Well, there's more music and conversation coming your way after this message here in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael on creativity and the CSB Adorned Bible. I mean, it's almost there's a surprise element to what art does. You see a picture and you're drawn in and you... Um, like one of these Doré images, all of a sudden you're sort of there before you realize what's happened. This month's featured resource is a beautiful addition combining the current CSB translation with classic depictions of Bible events from Gustave Doré's wood engravings. Learn more about the CSB Adorned Bible at csbible.com. When you order, receive a 40% discount on your CSB purchase at Lifeway. Just type card 40 with no spaces for your 40% discount. The CSB Adorned Bible, a great translation with a collection of 200 masterworks to inspire your imagination. Order your copy when you search for CSB Adorned Bible at csbible.com. talk about those twin incidents in scripture in a moment, but this song we're going to hear now, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, when you recorded this in the studio, John Ketchings was with you on cello. Yeah, and and uh, I complain a lot about uh, those days and having to record, but uh, every now and then you'd have someone like, you know, uh, a Buddy Green or a Ken Lewis or, uh, or a John Ketchings that would come in and play along mm-hmm. and... Uh, 
especially John. Uh, John and I spent eight years on the road together, just piano and cello or guitar and cello. And he is um, arguably the best cellist in Nashville, uh, just a wonderful uh, player, very gifted, but also just a great brother. Uh, there's a lot of pressure that goes with being on the road, and John was so gracious uh, to put up with you know, hotels and bad food and all that sort of stuff. So it's great to get to hear him. He, and, I, and the thing is, I just reconnected with him a couple of days ago, and he's, he's doing well. Um, kind Good. of retired and uh, just just a sweet brother. So it's great to get to hear him play. Wonderful. Well, we're going to hear it now. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O oh my Savior, hide Till the storm of life is past Safe into that haven guide Oh, receive my soul at last Other refuge have I none Hangs my helpless soul on thee Leave, oh, leave me not alone Still support and comfort me All my trust in thee is stayed all my help from thee I bring Cover my defenseless head With the shadow of thy wing Thou, O Christ, art all I want More than all in thee I find Raise the fallen, cheer the faint Heal the sick and lead the blind Just and holy is thy name I am all unrighteousness So good to hear you and John again on that recording of Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Thank you, Michael. Um, I, I'm looking at you, Michael, on a screen right now, as I always do as we record these, but I'm honored that our producer, Joe, has actually joined me in the studio right beside me. I mean, we're elbow to elbow here. That's right. In our small, yeah. little, humble studio, and uh, we have the unheard one in the studio now. <laughs> yes. Welcome, Joe. Well, thank you. You know, part of this is because the last time we had a recording session, Wayne was twisting my arm 
And I just said, no, I don't do that. I need to be in the control room. And he no, goes, no, you no. need to start coming in the studio. Joe has a great yeah. heart and mind, a great uh, love of the scriptures. And uh, he's a serious Bible student. And I, I just think he needs to join us in these conversations from time to time. So welcome. A- and a wonderful and a wonderful pr- prison ministry. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. I like what you say, a Bible student. I don't, yeah. you know, when uh, we have the Bible scholars on, there is definitely... <laughs> A level that um, I get to learn. Believe me, I understand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, well, I, and I understand too. I, you know, you don't spend 26 years with William Lane and ever think that you're a Bible. You know, you're serious. Right, right, so I'll right. always be a student. Well, Joe has joined us for this conversation about the twin incidents. So, Michael, take it away. And I'm going to listen to the two of you talk about this, I think. Michael, teach me. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, I think as I said before in the introduction, I've been looking at all the details of Jesus' life, uh, how many languages he speaks, what his world is like, how long it takes to walk from, you know, Nazareth to Jerusalem, and, you know, just every detail that can be known about Jesus, I want to know. And when I was looking at sort of a broad overview of his life, and that's what Bill used to encourage us to read big blocks of scriptures, whole books at a time. And when you do that uh, in the Gospels, you start seeing that there are these, there are, well, I just call them twin incidents. And it's interesting to me that there, there, there are two storms on the Sea of Galilee. You know, one is a contrary wind when Peter walks on the water. The other one is the, the storm where, uh, you know, Jesus calms the storm. There, there, uh, there are two miraculous catches of fish. That happens twice, early in the ministry and then uh, after the resurrection. There are two temple expulsions. Uh, one of the first things Jesus does in John is uh, throw the, the the traitors out of the temple. And then one of the last things he does, Passion Week, first thing he does when he gets to Jerusalem is he does it. Now, some scholars say, well, that there it only happened once and John put it in the wrong place. I don't, I don't I'm not prepared to go there. Uh, there are two sendings of the disciples, uh, and there are, there are two miraculous. Uh, feedings, which we're going to look at now. There's the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and you look at those stories and you think, well, why did they tell both stories? Isn't it, isn't it enough to just tell one of them? And the point is that one story interprets the other. And I think that's why we're told of two, two storms on the Sea of Galilee. One helps you in, understand the other. Uh, you know, two, two, uh, two miraculous sendings. You know, one sending, Jesus says, don't take any money, don't take a coat. The second sending, he says, you better take a coat, you better take some money, and if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy one. So those two stories interpret each other. And the best example, though, I think, is the two feedings. Yeah. Well, and Michael, one of the things that I remember hearing from Dr. Lane is that, especially in Mark, that's the idea of uh, the sandwich device or intercalcation, if I remember correctly. Yep. That, you know— Right. And the stuff that's in the middle is important because the two other stories set them up. Right, and and that happens with the feeding of the of feeding of the five thousand too. There's a little explanation uh, that happens in between those two stories, and uh, uh, it's, it's very important. And like Bill said, very important to listen to structure. So you can look at the structure of these two stories. Should we go there right now, Joe? Sure. All right, you have it there. I okay. I do have uh, in Mark six the uh, feeding of the five thousand, uh, and yeah. I've got my CSB Bible here. Okay. <laughs> and I'm used to reading in a different translation. So, and this, what you talk about, a new translation keeps you focused. So, yeah. this is what we'll do. We'll focus through it. 
And, uh, and Michael, you stop me wherever you want me to stop, okay? Okay, well, just, yeah, go ahead and read the whole story. Okay. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. That's verse 30 of chapter 6 in Mark. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while, for many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it's already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of food and bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he instructed them to sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up twelve baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Yeah, again, you know, s- structure is everything. They're, they're these two stories, the feeding of the 5,000, and then in chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000. And and even as the story begins, we have another one of these inclusios. Uh, it says uh, so many people are coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. Well, that s- same statement is made in 320. In this cycle of discipleship, the bookend of the cycle of discipleship is there's so many people coming and going that Jesus has to say, come with me to a quiet place and let's get some rest. And that's really the context for the feeding of the 5,000. They're trying to get away from the crowd. And lo and behold, they get uh, you know, to the other side of the lake and there are these people, this, this you know, 5,000 men, you know, maybe 15,000, 20,000 people, including the women and the children, and um, Bill used to say that Jesus always calls you to the level of your own inadequacy. Uh, that he said, when you're in ministry, you shouldn't just do what you're good at. You should do. Uh, you should always place yourself right on the edge of your uh, ability, so that if the Lord doesn't show up to help you, you'll fail miserably. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He looks at the disciple and these twenty thousand people, and he says, "You give them something to eat." You can imagine the disciples at that point thinking. Holy cow, you know, uh, I don't think that, <laughs> you know, I've got five bucks. Matthew, how much do you have? That kind of thing. And uh, and so what he does, he calls them to the level of their own inadequacy, and then what happens? He comes through for them, as Jesus always, always does. Um, another aspect of this miracle is it's it's uh, what I call an unmiraculous miracle. Um, all these people Jesus is about to feed, and 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 how does he make the miracle happen? Are lightning bolts from his fingertips, or you know, does he call attention to his miraculous power? Uh, no, both of the miraculous feedings are are unmiraculous in that Jesus accomplishes them simply by saying the saying a prayer. 
you know, what, what you and I would do before any meal. You know, Jesus looks up to heaven, and this is a rare uh, uh, example of uh, uh, Mark telling us what his attitude was in prayer. Apparently, Jesus looks up when he prays. We look down. Maybe we should mm. try looking mm. up when we pray. Mm-hmm. But he, he looks up to heaven, and, and he, he, he basically says the blessing, and then everything's handed out. But the real key to these two feedings uh, is in one little detail, and that's in uh, the baskets, the reference to the baskets uh, in the feeding of the uh, 5,000 here, the reference is to 12 baskets, and in the, the, in the next story in chapter 8, the reference is to seven baskets. And the important detail is these are two completely different kinds of baskets. Uh, and, um, and that's where here one story is helping us interpret the other story. And so the feeding, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, they pick up 12 uh, lunch pail baskets. The kofinos is the word. A kofinos is a little basket that you put a string through and you wear it on your shoulder. Oh. And, and so the, the, the point of the feeding of the 5,000 is after they pick up, and, and imagine picking up the pieces <laughs> after 10,000 people have eaten, and all you get is 12 little basketfuls. <laughs> right. And so what's the point? The point is perfect provision. Yeah. How many disciples are there? Right? Twelve. Well, I said everyone and was satisfied. I, but the point is, and after everyone is satisfied, they pick up the leftovers, and there are just enough leftovers to feed the disciples. Oh, uh, twelve yeah. little lunch pail baskets. <laughs> that's that's the that's the miracle, and the miracle is perfect provision, not abundance. Mm-hmm. Perfect provision. And I love to tell the story. The first time I went to Israel, uh, my wife called me, and our our well had broken. Is twelve hundred dollar bill to pay for a new pump for our well. And I said, I, you know, we don't have twelve hundred dollars. Uh, of course, I'm in the Jerusalem Hilton, so I'm, I'm not worried about water at that point. She has she has two toddlers in diapers, so it's kind of more of an issue for her. But li- literally, as I put the phone down, uh, we prayed together. I said, all we can do is pray. Literally, I put the phone down, and the producer of this series walks in, and he says uh, they weren't going to pay me anything. And he said, "We, you know, we've decided since you've been here for ten days, we're going to pay you." So he hands me a check for twelve hundred dollars. Wow! Huh. Yeah, and and I said, "That's the feeding of the five thousand. Perfect, I mean, perfect uh, provision. That, yeah, yeah, that's perfect provision. Now, if it was abundance, if it was twelve million dollars, I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> I would be morbidly obese, you know, looking at you know, channel surfing in front of a big screen TV, <laughs> but." Uh, Okay, so now let's uh, let's look. We don't have a lot of time left, but let's look at the 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 second of these twin incidents, and that's the feeding of the four thousand, which is in uh, chapter eight. It's right where, when chapter eight uh, begins, and you have the same structure. There's another large crowd; they have nothing to eat. Um, the disciples sort of bring up that you know we're in a bad situation here, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> don't you? Uh, don't you? Uh, um, um, are you unaware, you know, that we have to feed all these people? And and once again, I think Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And uh, he asks how many loaves they have, and they just have a few fish. And Well, this time they say seven instead of five. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and again, Jesus prays. He gives thanks. The detail isn't there that he looks up, but I'm assuming that he does. So he prays. And in this one, he prays twice. He prays uh, when they hand out the bread, and he also prays when they uh, 
you know, give the fish, which is interesting. He prays for each sort of mm-hmm. each course. But the, uh, we get to the end, and um, they, they pick up the pieces, and, and this time in verse uh, 8, they have seven basketfuls. And again, that's a different word for basket. It's a spheridos, which is a man-sized basket. <laughs> it's the same word that's used when, when Paul in Acts is led over the, the city wall, and that's a spheridos. It's, it's a big rope basket. And so uh, after the, the feeding of the 4,000, they have seven huge baskets full of leftovers. And so the point of the feeding of the 4,000 is abundance. Yeah. There's a bunch of crumbs and fish left over after the feeding of, of the 4,000. And after the feeding of the 5,000, there was just enough to feed the disciples. Two completely different stories with two completely different points, but they're twin incidents, and one helps us understand the other. This is so interesting, Joe and Michael, because yeah. as often is the case, what we can do hopefully is whet the appetite of a listener right. to pursue this further. Yeah. You know, we've given you just enough maybe to take this and run with it, right, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. And 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 also the the importance of reading big blocks and the importance of the details, of listening to the details of scripture. So Mike, my question for you is we talked about the two the pieces of bread on the sandwich device here in Mark. Yeah. But now the the meat in the middle shows up in in chapter uh, for me shows up in in chapter 6 after the walking on water and mm-hmm. it says in verse uh, 51 it says when Jesus got into the boat with them the wind ceased they were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves instead their hearts were hardened yes how do you Tie that in between these two incidents. Well, Mark Mark does it for us in uh, in chapter eight in uh, verse seventeen. Uh, again, this this business of bread comes up, uh, and that's the reference that, uh, to the moment that you talked about comes up, and uh, they're talking about uh, Jesus says on a completely different subject. Jesus says, "Watch out for the bread of the Pharisees," and the disciples think. Oh, he's talking about the fact that we didn't have any bread. Oh, you know, like, like we're in trouble. And in 17, you can almost hear the tone of his voice. Aware of their discussion, uh, uh, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you, do you have uh, eyes but can barely see? Do you have ears but you can barely hear? Uh, and don't you remember when I broke, you know, the five loaves, how many basketfuls? And when Jesus uses, uh, refers to the basketfuls in, uh, in chapter, in, in, sorry, in verse 19 and verse 20, he uses the two different words that are used in the two different accounts. So he says, how many kofanoi did you pick up? And they say 12. And he says, well, how many spheridos or spheridon? And they say, well, seven. So that consistency is there and Jesus interprets it for you. Wow. And the and the last thing Jesus says by the way is, do you still not understand? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the inflection of your voice there. I think that's just how Jesus yeah. said it too. Joe. It gives us hope. I can hear it. Yeah. It gives right. us yeah. hope. Right. Well, yes. our, our time is gone, but you know what? This is like so many situations we have where we've we've started this subject here that whets the appetite hopefully for our listeners Joe and Mike to take it from here and to study this on their own. What do you think? Amen. 
All right. Well, Wayne, we've got a song coming up to wrap up this segment. He's being a producer now, Mike. <laughs> he put that hat back on. Well, yeah, i got to do that. All right, Mr. Producer, you want to announce what the song well, is? Well, yeah, it's uh, Where Cross the Crowded Ways. Okay. I love this song. Mike, you did this on one of your albums of hymns, and it's mm-hmm. like an overview of the ministry of Jesus and how mm-hmm. wherever we see him in the Gospels, He's he's with people, and he is reaching out, and he is being who he came to be, the Son of God. Mm. Here's Michael Amen. to sing, and Joe, thank you for being here. Honored. On this side of the glass. We're across the crowded ways of life. We're sound the cries of race and clan. Above the noise of selfish strife We hear your voice, O Son of Man In haunts of wretchedness and need On shadowed thresholds dark with fear From path where hides the lures of greed We catch the vision of your tears From tender childhood's helplessness From woman's grief, man's burden toil From famished souls, from sorrow's stress Your heart has never known recoil The cup of water given for you Still holds the freshness of your grace Yet long these multitudes do view The sweet compassion of your face Sons of men shall learn your love And follow where your feet have trod Till glorious from your heaven above Shall come the city of our God Great song from Michael to wrap up this session in the studio. If this hour has stirred you to go deeper in your walk with Christ, we hope you'll let us know. There's several ways to do this. Post a review of this podcast. 
You can pass along the link to a friend or email your reactions when you write in the studio at michaelcard.com. We look forward to reading your email. Again, in the studio at michaelcard.com. Details about this edition can be found on our program page at michaelcard.com. Stay current with Michael's ministry and interact with other listeners when you check out the Michael Card Music Facebook page. This podcast is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. See all the ways that you can go deeper in God's Word when you visit csbible.com. And this month, we're highlighting the release of the new edition called the CSB Adorned Bible. This beautiful edition combines the current CSB translation with the classic depictions of Bible events from Gustave Doré's inspired wood engraved collection. Explore all that is available for you and use the 40% discount on CSB purchases at Lifeway. Just type CARD40 with no spaces for your 40% discount. The CSB Adorned Bible, a great translation with great art to aid your imagination as you read and meditate on what you read. It's available for you online at csbible.com. We hope you'll join us next week for another podcast edition. Now for Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening in on this session in the studio with Michael Card. And before we go, we hope you'll enjoy this week's bonus track from Michael. There's a wealth of things that I professed, I said that I believed. But deep inside I never changed, I guess I'd been deceived. Then a voice inside kept telling me that I'd change by and by. But the Spirit made it clear to me that kind of lies a lie. I have decided I'm gonna live like a believer. Turn my back on the deceiver. Gonna live what I believe. I have decided that being good is just a fable. I just can't cause I'm not able. Gonna leave it to the Lord. So forget the game of being good and your self-righteous pain. Cause the only good inside your heart is the good that Jesus brings. And when the world begins to see you change, don't expect them to applaud. Just keep your eyes on Him and tell yourself, I've begun the work of God. I have decided I'm gonna live like a believer. Turn my back on the deceiver. Gonna live what I believe. I have decided being good is just a fable. I just can't cause I'm not able. I'm gonna leave it to the Lord. I have decided I'm gonna live like a believer. Turn my back on the deceiver. Gonna live what I believe. I have decided that being good is just a fable. I just can't cause I'm not able. Gonna